This podcast is created in partnership with Film Studies and the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences at the University of Sydney. We acknowledge the tradition of custodianship and law of the country on which the University of Sydney campuses stand, as well as the Darug people, where we all grew up. We pay our respects to those who have cared for and continue to care for country. I wish I knew how to quit. I see Right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Get away from her, you bitch! I'm gonna go, do you want me to go f***ing flash your lights? Take two. Film verse. Film. Hello, listeners, my name is Craig Anderson, and welcome to Film Verse Film. This is the podcast where every episode we throw two different films into the ring, discuss their place in history, their modern virtues, and how they stack up against each other. Which film will hold up? and which film will be left on the cutting room floor. In this episode, it's a misfiring comedy versus a misfiring dramedy that deal very strongly with the issues of race. One from the height of Richard Pryor's success and the other from two extremely successful comedy directors tackling a much more dramatic subject and being rewarded with an Oscar. Which film does a better job of representing race and what place does comedy play in it? With me today are my two best friends all the way back from high school in a time when it was perfectly okay to love Nordberg from Airplane. This is Herschel Isaacs. As always, Craig, and Riz, happy to be here. Can't wait for this one. Herschel, uh, it's great to have you. And as always, we have your identical twin brother in the room, the only associate professor at the University of Sydney who absolutely adores the movie Soul Man. <laughs> it's Bruce Isaacs. I can't even believe you're mentioning Soul Man Thank because you. of for people who haven't seen Soul Man, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it a guy that takes some tablets and he turns from no. white to black <laughs> no, so he can get into no, 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 Thomas Howe? No. He, yeah, he deliberately wants to get into college yeah. under a diversity thing <laughs> and get a scholarship oh so he gosh. pretends to be black. Craig, I hate to have to correct you, but yeah. Officer Nordberg is in fact not in Airplane, but he's the O.J. Simpson character in oh, Naked, Gun. Naked Gun. Oh, I'm so sorry. And can, it's just can, one of the yeah. great characters in that sort of slapstick humour. And just for people who don't know me, obviously, uh, <laughs> my wife and I named our dog Nordberg mm. after... After the O.J. Simpson Nordberg performed by O.J. Simpson. I love that. Dog. Now, the other thing I want to add is that that performance is the pinnacle of O.J.'s career because <laughs> if you if you contrast it with his... <laughs> the football, not important. I mean, okay, football-wise, he was, he was obviously a genius, but acting-wise, <laughs> yeah, acting-wise... Yeah. Football's not important and murder's not murder, important. Murder, not so much. But let's find the For naked our gun listeners, reference. Yeah. Head back into Capricorn 1 with James Brolin because it's, it's a fun science sort of fiction. It's a great idea for a What movie. might have happened, yeah. you're... Sta- playing on your Stanley Kubrick fake the entire moon landing thing. But when when um, O.J. Simpson is required <laughs> to show real pain and, and anguish as he's crawling through the desert without any water, he's, his lack of acting talent has never been more real than that. <laughs> yeah, well, he's... The, Actually, he's opening in that Hurts commercially did when he was a footballer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's yeah. shocking yeah, in that. Well, hey, that juice. comes out in the yeah, docker. The juice. That's so. That's <laughs> Do you guys terrible. seen that uh, documentary? OJ, was it? Yeah, the Made in America. Made, Made in America. Absolutely. That's that, one of the great I, documentaries ever. I think ever. that's. Actually, my favorite documentary of all time. Wow. I just think it's the most I, remarkable I, I film. I would not give it that title. I love I it so great. much. Yeah. But I think it's just such an interesting cultural... You know, we're talking about race today. Mm-hmm. And the way that OJ has to navigate his way through really complex yeah, currents of, of, yeah. of racial identity and structures and institutions in the 80s, I just thought was so fascinating. Um, but I don't think... I mean, it's fascinating 
in terms of what happened to OJ afterwards. Yeah. Well, yeah. let's let's go from footballer to yeah. actor to murderer. <laughs> Wait, can we say that? Are we allowed to? We can't get sued what? for libel or anything, can we? I don't know. Is he everyone a, in the is world he a says li- that. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, everyone pretty much says he's a murderer, don't they? I think it's well, a he's common... reformed now. He's hey, no, but he's also isn't he also Twitter? been prosecuted in that other court? The kidnapping. As a he was found guilty right? not as a kidnapper. No, oh. no, no. Oh, no, no. That was a different thing. But he was found guilty of on the balance of probabilities of having committed murder. I mean, my concern is if he listens to this <laughs> podcast, comes to Australia and murders the three of us. Because I want to live but longer. You're probably <laughs> you're asking him if you should keep easiest. the previous thing on. You could, now you've got that on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We, well, we're not too stressed because we grew up in the multicultural melting pot of Western Sydney and spent all our free time watching movies. So as always, we'd like to shout out to a local landmark that made us love film. And this time, it's a tiny twin cinema that existed between 1981 and the year 2000 in the city of Penrith. It's the Hayden Cinemas. I loved Hayden Cinemas because the interesting thing about Hayden is that we attended Hayden Cinemas way before we ended up spending all of our time at Star Cinema in Mandrud, which ended up being well, closer I, to Astro. Astro, Astro sorry. Yeah, Astro. Yeah. And the thing with Hayden is it'll always hold a special place for me because of a particular movie that Bruce, you and I and our family went to see. My mom and dad took Bruce on a Friday evening to a 7.30 showing of Die Hard 2. So for our <laughs> listeners at home, if, if you're kind of around our age and you grew up in the in the 80s and 90s and you watched a lot of movies, then you'll know that the sequel to Die Hard, Die Hard 2, was probably the most anticipated film, yeah. certainly that I know of. Like, yeah, yeah. I, 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 Terminator 2 maybe, but Die Hard 2 was well, everything. Terminator 2, I think, had all the hype. But, but it had a lot of distance between it and it wasn't the yeah. same thing. Exactly. Yep. And it wasn't it was the something same thing. A bit it was different. A, they were Die Hard 2, you it. knew it was going to be the same. And the other thing about be... Die Hard 2 is... We had all built up in our heads what this was going to be. Yeah. And so the expectation was outlandish. Mm-hmm. See, I like that you said that because unfortunately things didn't quite go to plan with my parents taking Bruce and I. We drove over to Penrith, which is about a, 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 probably a 15, 20-minute drive from where we lived in St. Clair. And um, we left a little bit late and we couldn't find a car park. Mm-mm. And then my parents started arguing because we couldn't find a car park. And Bruce and I becoming increasingly anxious in this entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> what to miss the movie? Yeah. To miss the movie, so you don't care about your parents. Well, just we, we just well, no, I, I have a memory of that being slightly traumatic as well. Oh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I was going to go there. <laughs> we eventually found a park. Yeah. Oh, no. We turned up. The lights were all down already. The show was starting, and so we thought to ourselves, "Okay, no, but that's okay because we're going to get a couple of previews and everything, and then we're going to have the credit sequences. So worst case scenario." We're going to get the... Yeah, and nothing will have happened. Exactly. Nothing of significance The problem is, is mm-hmm. that you all know that Die Hard is... Well, it's the first movie I ever saw where there were no credits. So there was no Bruce Willis starring in Die Hard. Well, there was no, like, three-minute yeah, exactly. music yeah, yeah. and cameras with the, moving over. With the over film score ex- playing over. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and, and I think it was yeah. because the movie the, was so big, you didn't have to introduce it. Mm. The movie was known to everyone yeah. in the world. Everyone was waiting on it. So that, for me, sums up Hayden. We also saw um, Presumed Innocent with, with Mum. Oh, yeah. yeah a 9.30 wow. showing on a Thursday I know. on a school Hang night. Isn't that a little sexy to watch with yes, Mum? Yes, and how weird is that? What does that say about the way Hirschland grew up with <laughs> movies, right? I'm not kidding. So it's like yeah. Thursday night, because uh-huh. I think it maybe it's cheat night or something. Yeah. My mum takes Hirschland and I to watch Presumed Innocent, which is <laughs> in that wonderful genre of a kind of sex thriller, sex corporate <laughs> yeah, thriller. Yeah, yeah. This violence. is the era of a Paul sec- Verhoeven. A sex violent uh-huh. thriller, but, Oh, and and well. a wonderful film, 
And I mean, I don't know if this is embarrassing to say because Hirsch and I are quite young at this point. We come out, we couldn't understand the movie. We couldn't follow the plot and Hirsch mm-hmm. and I are very desperate to follow plots of no, movies. Because no, we're reading complicated no. books. So, <laughs> so, so this is a very charming thing about my mom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hirsch and I are talking. We, we, we go, what the hell is this thing? So we go to my mom. Hey, mom. What, what no. is a diaphragm? <laughs> so yeah, we literally this true story because I don't know what it is. What thirteen, maybe 14? yeah, thirteen. 13 yeah, so yeah. I don't know what a diaphragm is, right? Sure. And I go to my mom, <laughs> mom, because the whole plot, if you know, it turns on the use of a diaphragm. Yeah. So my mom, so we go to my mom. My mom goes. I don't know. I <laughs> thought maybe you'd know what it was. Well, your mum didn't, didn't, didn't know what it was. Okay, so here's was. the thing. In the 80s, there wasn't much sex <laughs> no, that's there. No, that's and that's your mum grew up in Cape Town in what, the 60s? What, you say Cape Town's particularly repressed, <laughs> yes, is it? Yeah. <laughs> I've heard there's some troubles there in the yeah. past. <laughs> I mean, they've got racial problems, they've got sex problems. What else they got? The it's, thing is, if you've ever, if you had attended any movies with our mum, um, you'll know that She's not shy to ask questions oh, in quite the movie. loudly what, to in the, the movie. Holy, holy so, for example, <laughs> no, 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 people she's attending not a with her. <laughs> no, she's she's sorry, well, who's she what? asking Bruce this to I? the complaints so, counter? So, or what? Okay, so do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> I just Bruce. got an image now of Mum looking at the screen, going, "What is a diaphragm? What is a diaphragm?" <laughs> do you remember um, pa- the the character? Because I read *Presumably Innocent*, I loved it. Right, okay. yeah. so painless after after the movie. So painless Kuma guy is the forensics. Pathologist, mm. he gets on the stand and he's going through all the sexual thing, tubal ligations, diaphragms. Yeah. Br- no, Bruce, Bruce, yeah, we don't know what the hell's going so on. So Bruce right? and sure. I don't know what's going on. My, my, my mom Why knows. My you? mom has got no idea what's going on. Yeah. My mom is leaning over, going, "What's a diaphragm? <laughs> what's a tubal ligation?" We're going, "We don't know." Oh, but there's on. people sitting around. So us. she's quite loudly in the well, audience. She's, she's, she's literally coming. She's turning, going, "Oh no, boys, boys." What's a diaphragm? <laughs> what does he the mean? People don't understand. Is no. If you don't know what a diaphragm is, you cannot follow yeah, you the plot of this movie. film, right? Yeah. And Bruce, remember the twist at the end of the guy had the glass, and I remember Mum going, "What glass?" <laughs> That's the whole movie. Oh, no, if you don't but know I, what the glass okay, is, okay, listen, I want to move off that. Yeah, 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 uh, the yeah. movies I saw there, Gremlins, yeah, uh, with my grandma. Oh, she also took me the following year, I think, to see Croc Dundee, yeah. which was back to back with Foot Rot Flats, amazing. Crockle and the Dundee was such an event for us because we had just came from South Africa. Did you see, where did you see in Hayden? Hayden, Hayden, Hayden there you go. Together yeah. with my auntie Yvonne. Oh, wow. They, those guys had sponsored us. To, we couldn't have made it to Australia without my auntie Yvonne mm. and Uncle Willie. They sponsored us, right? Awesome. So one of our big outings was to go Penrith Hayden and watch <laughs> Crocodile Dundee. You're and like the, the character from there, a weird mob. You're like, okay, <laughs> well, how does But you know the work? weird thing? It was my, because I, Urshel and I, Found Australian culture very strange, yeah. and and almost like you couldn't understand what what the hell was going on, <laughs> yeah. and so we went to see Crocodile Dundee, and we and when we came out, my mum and Auntie Yvonne hated that movie <laughs> yes. so much because as South Africans they didn't get they didn't get the humour uh, or why this idiot was acting like he and all was. the cultural references meant nothing to yes. us. Yes, my grandmother at the time she would have been sixty something. She she cried at the end uh, yeah, during that's, that that's romantic amazing. ending, you know, because I think it plugged into a lot of um, mm. what Australians like to think they are the 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 red center the, the larynx with the heart of gold yeah yeah yeah, 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 like yeah, that, yeah. and the bravado that's not really there and we're not too sure Maybe that we actually think about our political discourse at the moment that talks about things like larrikinism yeah or you, like you know with you know, the sad and, yeah, yeah the sad passing of Shane Warne recently mm. but so many times I've read the word larrikin right yeah. and if you think Crocodile Dundee so tapped into that mythology which is of course you know 
obviously outlandish and serves a certain ideological purpose. But isn't that but the, that's what people tapped in? That, that's what they, they gravitated to. But that's exactly the best of Larrikinism because a Larrikin is a person who necessarily, by, by contrast, has got the softer side. So, you know, in Crocodile Dundee, yeah. where she goes, you're my Tarzan, he goes, ugh. <laughs> like, <laughs> 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 Sorry, I'm just laughing because <laughs> she literally just thumped his yeah. chest. Yeah. I think Johnny Wee's melody into the room. That's, that's a lovely scene because... Yeah, yeah. He's, you know, he's coming across as the kind of fragile person. He throw, when he throws that can, that can of fruit, like yeah, about yeah, 70 yeah, meters, yeah. hits the guy right on the back of the head yeah. and everyone starts cheering for him. Yeah. And he's going, yeah, thanks. Yeah, I mean, like, right there is, is, is cinema's fantasy, right? Because if that's one meter to the side, he hits another person mm-hmm. in the head and they're dead. Well, yeah. he kills him, right? Yeah. He hit an old yeah. lady and kill her. And one thing I just want to say quickly about Crocodile Dundee, when I teach that, I, I use a scene to teach uh, to first year students about how... You can strategically create ways of looking at things. And the scene where Lindy Kozlowski take goes for a bathe oh, in the, in well, the she's swamp. In that, uh, skimpy and she's one wearing piece like in a, a, it's like a G-string. It's like a G-string. Well, it's, it's like a one piece with a mankini. It's like a mankini, but she's, she's wearing it. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and Mick has been following her for hours, mm-hmm. right? And then when the crocodile grabs her, he jumps out and stabs the crocodile. <laughs> and then he holds her and goes, it's okay. It's okay. I'm here now. Something like that. And I always say to students, how how has the scene through framing and and montage or cutting together mm. set up the relationship between these two figures? And we always have the most wonderful discussions because if you watch that scene carefully, yeah. you can just see the magic of cinema to mm. create ways of seeing. Certainly, and that movie is politically pretty questionable. All right. So uh, here's a couple of films I remember seeing you guys after Last Crusade. I was oh, going yeah. into Last Crusade. Oh, you had just okay, seen okay. it. And I think there was a mix-up. Because I said, you, have you just watched Back to the Future 2? And you go, no, we've just d- done Last Crusade. Yeah. That was an exciting time. That and then we all went, I remember this day, uh, to watch Pulp Fiction in 90. Was that at Pimlico? Oh, yeah, that was, that was we, a long time we, ago. We finished yeah. year 12, That's one of the formative final year of school. film viewings of our lives. That, I think, yeah, that viewing, I left uh, with you the You left stabbing because you, you became physically ill, remember? Yeah, I, with was, the, with I the, nearly the passed out from <laughs> adrenaline shot. Is yeah. that true? Yeah, yeah I went Craig to the toilet. I don't even remember I needed that. to freshen up in the bathroom <laughs> when it was on. It was yeah. too Are much. You yes. Yeah, I yes. came back hey, like 10 minutes later. Can I tell later. one other very quick story about Penrith Hayden? Yeah. Me, uh, Herschel was at uni, at ANU, so that's in Canberra. Craig and I hung around in Sydney and went to university in Sydney. And Losers. one, one uh, <laughs> night, we went to see Goodwill Hunting. Oh, man. And <laughs> so just to, to give all of our listeners uh, an insight into Craig's soul, uh. <laughs> we were sitting there watching the movie, and these kids uh, oh. were maybe like 10 rows down, oh, boy. talking like crazy. Mm. And, and it was exactly, and I'm not Too making loud. this up. Too loud. Very loud. Yeah. Like very loud. Awesome. And I what, in previews or the movie. No, 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 the movie, man. Okay, the movie. And That's unforgivable. This was a, and and what Craig did was exactly like uh, George Costanza in Seinfeld. <laughs> Craig went. I, I couldn't believe what was going on. He stood up. My jaw dropped. He walked to these three, these two like punks. <laughs> sat behind them. Gr- this is true. I'm not waking this up. I can see that. He grabbed, he grabbed the collars on the shoulder <laughs> and he said something like, "Shut up." <laughs> And if you don't shut up, what? when this move is over, me and that guy over there. <laughs> what, you? Yeah, me. I'm sitting there. I can't, I'm speechless. Yeah, I'm bringing you in on it. And Craig goes, we, it said something like, when, he, when, when you come out the front, 
we're going to kick the shit out of you. <laughs> <laughs> and th- th- I can't I'm believe this. Craig, no, no, no. Uh, I've been telling this. the story to various people well, for okay. decades, Amazing. okay? Amazing. It's true. Craig did it, and they never spoke again. Well, yeah. Well, I no, guess, well, I mean, you're uh, my we hero. we care about cinema. That's like, why you're my hero. I do a thing now where people are talking. I walk in front, <laughs> the row in front. Oh, my I gosh. put my knees in, and I lean in forward right in their faces. And it's really confronting because you don't expect the man Wait, to be you, doing that. You actually and I, do this. Yeah, and I say, hey, guys, I just need you to know that everyone can hear you talking right now. You and then actually I just, do this, And then Craig. I don't leave for a while. I just sort of stare at them and then they don't know what to do. <laughs> if, and then I walk away ever, back to my seat. When we're at the movies, if you're going <laughs> to okay. do that, yeah. alert me and I'll nah, move seats nah, to nah, another nah, area. You're okay? in. You've got to be in with me. <laughs> the, other, the other thing, it's interesting that you brought up Goodwill Hunting because the last film I saw there, I was 2000 and it must have been 2000. Dogma, the Kevin Smith film. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was the last film. And I went in the Is middle of the Smith? day. Yeah. No, it's last one, Trier. No, not that one. Oh, different. The, the okay. crazy one with Ben Affleck and oh, the yeah, yeah, angels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went in there and it was the last film I ever saw that was in its final weeks of operating the cinema. Is it Alanis yeah. Morissette in that? Yeah. yeah she plays God, well. I think. Yeah. Um, and then I'm sitting there and no one was there and no one was in the entire venue. Wow. And I took a phone call. Like one of the first times I had a mobile phone and I was like, oh. And someone called me and I go, hey. I'm in the cinema. No one's here. And I just uh, talked during Dog. It's not a great film at all. So I, mean, I, I, I don't it. think I've yeah. seen it. But that was the one end of the One of the formative experiences was me, you, uh, Herschel was away at uni again. Yeah. Me, you, and Glenn David watching Chasing Amy. Oh, also in Hayden Cinema. In Hayden. Wow. You kept on telling so me how good Chasing Amy was. I loved I mean, I just remember being so affected by that movie. I, d- I haven't seen it since. But I just remember thinking um, it, it was just... It was doing so many unexpected things and very cool and very hip mm. at the time. All right, well that's it. Hayden Cinema has been gone for twenty years, and I miss it a lot. I do, and I, I really miss I miss the time where it isn't a megaplex. You know, when I'm not going to mm. forty cinema place yeah. that no one cares about. I mean, it's an interesting thing. We kind of get a combination with Dendy now versus Hoyt, yeah, or yeah, Palace, yeah, yeah. Palace, yeah. All right, now today's episode will be full of spoilers, so if you haven't seen either film, you might want to watch them first. Though, to be honest. I think that this discussion is probably going to be more entertaining than either of the two films. (laughs) Let's get into it. Take one. First up on today's show, and it's 1982's The Toy. Seasoned director Richard Donner had spent more than a decade and a half working in television before he cracked the big time in the 70s with the horror film The Omen and superhero blockbuster Superman. Soon after the success of those two films, Donna directed The Toy, before going on to direct other box office successes such as The Goonies and the Lethal Weapon series. Now, this movie is based on the 1976 French film from legendary writer-director Francis Verber, who is famous for creating the comedy films La Cage of Folle, uh, Three Fugitives, My Father the Hero, Dinner for Schmucks, and all of those. <laughs> no, well, I mean, that's what it was called yeah. in America, Dinner for that's, Schmucks. That's the loose translation. <laughs> yeah, but the, I mean, all of those, uh, <laughs> I, I can't do all of the French words, but he made those massive juggernauts um, that became Birdcage <laughs> and other films in, in, in America. <laughs> all right, listen up. Donna's The Toy sees Richard Pryor as an out-of-work journalist working as a cleaner in a department store when the rich, snooty son of the owner comes in and demands that he owns Richard Pryor. Initially offended, Pryor is seduced by a big payday and is soon wrapped in a box and delivered to the kid's mansion where he becomes the titular toy. The film also stars the legendary character actor Ned Beatty as the bumbling assistant to the wealthy, industrialised father, played by famous TV comedian Jackie Gleason. 
And unlike the French original, the casting of Pryor introduces the element of race, and Donna sets it in the deep and racist state of Louisiana. Donna, is that rough to just I don't know call it? The deep and racist state. Oh, proud heritage this. of Confederates, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Donna and Pryor also introduced a heavy farcical tone that wasn't in the original, and subsequently the film was panned by critics and dismissed by audiences. It went on to be nominated for a total of zero Oscars and disappear into the annals of time. Herschel, what's your take on the toy? I'm going to say up front that this movie actually has got a, a, a bit of a special place in my heart because Bruce and I saw this in South Africa. Now, we grew up in apartheid South Africa. Um, our family moved here when we were nine years old in 1986. You guys grew up in apartheid, right? In yeah, South yeah. Africa. Yeah. And as, in fact, as we watched the toy... Yeah. In I think from memory, I'm sure it was like the last day of school or something before the summer holidays, and they brought in a movie that will be yes, one of those exactly. TVs with That's a video. Right. Uh, be the case, um, and we watched the toy, Richard Pryor. Okay, and wait, what so, type of school? Uh, pr- uh, primary, so, so, so we would have been yeah, in but year four. Said that, this is a government school, and the 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 categories of white colored and black yeah. meant that we could only go to certain schools and a school had to be categorized yeah. as for colors. Now you were in the colored school. Yeah, so Herschel exactly. and I went to a color right. school. We went to Heathfield. We went to a colored school, but there was also a white school nearby. Hang on. So and how, we couldn't is... go to the white school. We went to the colored school. Yes. W- what are they doing bringing in the toy? Is it going, this is how you guys should be? Oh, <laughs> no, no, no. I know we're reading it, just, it uh, right, from just, a, through a race perspective. Right. They were just putting a Richard Pryor movie on for us, you know. Oh, because it's a popular of, comedy yeah, of the time. Yeah, it's like, you know, right. it's end of holidays, it's summer. And so, but I know, mean, I guess that's fun. why aspects of this movie, even though it's, you know, discounted completely and rejected by, by certainly by a modern audience, but even people at the time that I'll get into in a second, it'll always like sort of resonate with me because I think we... We look at Richard Pryor saying, all I want is a job. And we look at his girlfriend who works for the, um, the low-income mm-hmm. legal aid. Yeah. So, so that resonated with us. And that's why um, I guess what I'm going to be saying in my take through this is that there's a lot of value in the toy, notwithstanding all of those problematic elements that we've got. Mm. I mean, one of the intros, because I think Craig's intro is really good in that it's so strange that to do the French film... As yeah. an American film, the screenwriters or the studio or Richard Donner, whoever, the minute they got Richard Pryor, it became a race movie. Yeah. Like it was impossible that Richard Pryor was not going to just explode the, you know, mm. the signifiers of race, right? Because this guy was one of the leading comedians and he was on the circuit and he was doing racial stuff. But even the making of it, though, I was, I was just today, I was reading some of the commentary about it. I was on Wikipedia, uh, IMDb, those sorts of things. Uh, one of the producers, I believe it was, said that when the movie was originally pitched, he's quoted as saying, well, like Richard Pryor packaged it up as a present. I can see that as really funny, hmm. like, which is weird. I know, yeah, who it's, else it's weird, gonna, but can you package time, a person up? You but know? all, like, I mean, if you think about the, the connotations of that image, a black man being packaged up and delivered to a white house and a white family, mm. it, it ca- it, it's not just, I think, about like exploitation or abuse of the black man, but it's, it's, it's calling into the present things like slavery and ownership of the servant. And there's definitely now, commentary yeah. on that. Yeah, and, and I think this movie becomes um, a pretty explicit film dealing with issues of race well, explicit and not in, just a comedy. Because right? the second half, they have a, a, a fundraising yes, thing yeah. on the, the property yeah. and, they and they don't talk know that the members are the from the KKK. Yeah, the clan members yeah. there yeah. and all types of, you know... 
Well, I mean, that, that's why this movie resonate, will always resonate with me a bit. Perhaps it's, you know, it's nostalgia, and we saw it when we were kids just before yeah. leaving South Africa, so maybe it, that adds that special place. But, I, you know, I'm a sucker for the kind of underdog, low socioeconomic group trying to say that the world is unfair, it needs to be changed in this way. So I'm always a sucker for that kind of story. But I actually think it has some value in it the way it's told you. I just want to begin by saying David Anson in Newsweek um, called this a shapeless, noisy, vulgar, sentimental, and amateurish film. And he gave it zero stars out of five. <laughs> it currently, I reckon that's fair, though. Oh, I'd ahead. give it zero. Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, no, well, hang on. But, but that's the point I'm trying to make, though. Yeah. I think it's been recoded. So something I'm going to be talking about is I think when you view it through a, the lens of 2022, Yes, massively problematic. But then I want to ask, is, is that even fair? Can you even look yeah. at this through 2020? Because if you look at, I just watched Rocky a week ago. Mm. A lot of that stuff, you've got to pull that out now. Yeah. What, Rocky so, 4 or Rocky? Rocky 1. Rocky okay. 1. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, there's race in there? Not, well, not necessarily race, but oh, for example, Apollo, okay. um, the gender issues, um, yeah, his course. dominance of Adrian. Yeah. Those sorts of um, I just want to keep on going here. Um, zero out of five stars. Um, it's currently sitting at 3% on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> and it's 16 out of 100 on Metacritic. What? Is that true? Yes. Wow, Metacritic's, cons- Metacritic's, cons- like it. Mm. Metacritic's consensus, you know the little yeah, summary yeah. of it, is this. And I quote, a muddled and unfunny collision of two comedic titans. The toy is unsuitable, <laughs> the toy is unsuitable for children. Or anyone else seeking entertainment. <laughs> That's oh, what man. it says. A lot of those witticisms that come through some criticism. Oh, I, I don't know. I guess so. I don't know. I, Bruce, I guess you don't like. Wait, Bruce, sorry, I want to clear something up because Bruce, mm. you don't like it. No, no, I don't like it. I also have problems with the way that it deals with race. Wow. Okay. So my issue with a film like this is, it takes race. It it pretends in some ways to be quite serious about race. So for example, the opening mm. is pretty moving, where you see the you know the long unemployment line yeah. Yeah. where they're going yeah. to collect their checks. He's riding his bicycle, and, his bicycle. Oh, yeah. and it's and it's the sort of city and these people who have been, you know, when's this movie made? It's 80, 82. Okay, eighty two. Yeah. So we think we this is Reagan really getting moving, and in Reagan era where. It, it, it's 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 kind of the rich get richer sort of thing, and that's the way I think the perception of this movie works. And the breakdown of the urban, the yes, urban ghetto, absolutely, the, the, and yeah. you know, and, and 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 this would lead to all sorts of horrible stereotypes about these urban communities. The problem I have with the film is it, it then cashes in a few cheap laughs. I don't think there's. I mean, you guys surely couldn't think. Like, do you think there's a coherent? Argument about race being made in this movie. To I don't, me, this I don't, is just, see, I think thing. it's I, a loose argument. Okay. I don't think it's a coherent argument, but I don't know if it's intended to be a film about race. So one of the points I've got here is that for me, in the, at, as an umbrella concept, it's a movie about belonging. Richard Pryor is trying to get a job. When they play poker at the start of the movie, do you remember when he raises the bet, but he raises it in food stamps? Mm-hmm. I think that's oh, a funny, yeah. that's a joke. I remember it's that. a, that's, yeah. But it says something useful, I think. Yeah. The fact that the the low income legal support is on the on the side of the the van. Yeah, these are all important points because that was dominant in American society and the socioeconomic discussions that were on at the time. And you say Reaganism, and yep. and you know the. No, I agree with. I guess one of the things that I would add is, both of our movies today, and in fact, this entire episode is a lot about what's the difference between movies that are saying they're about something, and really what they're about. 
So we're going to talk about Green Book, mm-hmm. which, as Craig said at the opening, it won Best Picture, mm-hmm. and no one's giving that movie Best Picture unless they believe it's one of the most progressive <laughs> and supportive films about race. And yet, I'm going to say in a second, I think it's one of the most racist films released in America maybe in the last couple of decades, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess one of the things we, we, we have to consider is what are these movies purporting to be and really, what are they doing? That's, they I, that's why I like the toy. The toy says, "Here's uh, this is a comedy about a comedian that you love doing this thing. Yeah. Oh, by the way, he's black. So we're going to set it in a, yeah. a situation where that's going to read a little and he's going to deal with it. And his partner is, in, is sort of educated on that. And yeah. it's kind of like just... I guess it's decoration. It may not be perfect, but I think it is aware of what it's doing, but it's also... It's yeah, saying this is our subtext, but we don't. Committed, right? But I, I, I agree with, half, agree with right? that. It's half committed. But I think it yeah. wears yeah. its heart on its sleeve. So the yeah. kid is trying to belong as well. Yeah. His father figure is non-existent and he's not a nice person. So Richard Pryor takes on the role of the quasi big brother or father figure. The other thing is that um, there's some there are messages of value in the toy um, about like being able to fit in and transcending that kind of barrier and saying, well, look at who the human being is who can fit into these environments. So it's simplistic and it has all of that that difficulty about it, but there's still value in some of the messaging. So I would argue that there's, there's no, at least there's no sleight of hand in the toy, mm. whereas Green Book is, you know, well, that's Green all Book's, smoke and mirrors. I mean, I was just thinking that Green Book is the most committed film about race. Yeah. But it's committed on a level that, for me, is so obnoxious. Whereas the toy is not as committed. But I like what you say there, Ashton, that like it's still making the central character Richard Pryor. Yeah. The central character in Green Book is not the black man, but the white man who's showing how good a white man can be. And so the, 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 they yeah, have kind of yeah, inverse yeah, yeah. racial well, you know, and, and I think in the coding of the film, the toy... You see a doofus who's about to be bought in a in a bizarre reflection, I don't know, looking glass version of slavery. Yeah. A slave auction in a toy store where he's dressed almost feminized in his pathetic outfit and Ned Beatty's are going, How much? How much? And yeah. then the, the, it's on. And it's comical. And he's Richard Price being Richard Price, extremely mm. funny. Mm. And then later on, the same bizarro thread of race. They are driving around on go-karts and having cream pie fights with KKK members on yeah. the lawn of a fancy rich person's house. You know, yeah. so, it's yeah, like it, it's still farcical and stupid, yeah. but it's dealing with there's, there's still a critique. There's still something going on. Yeah, but in a bad, you know, in a ridiculous <laughs> mode. I mean, yeah, the other I mean, thing I'd say I, is... I think that's cool, yeah. You know, I mean, that's what I've got in my notes for the most part. Is it problematic? Absolutely. I'll get to that in a second. But at the end of the day, it's trying to say something which is intending to try to say the world needs to be better. You need to mm. listen to these stories. These people need to have a voice. So I think there's value in that. The other thing I'd say is, if you think about it, you've got Richard Pryor, Jackie Gleason, Ned Betty in the cast, mm. and they work fantastically together. They really play off each other. The kid for me is probably one of the best kid performances <laughs> I've seen in a movie. In a, I've got in my notes here, um, <laughs> Joel Haley, I was going to kiss that kid's ass. <laughs> Because that this kid's really good, like in the yeah, emotional yeah, yeah. scenes when he's talking to Pryor in the park. I find him a little disconcerting. If they needed a robot in a film, he would have been great. <laughs> like I think he's he grew very up to be serious. a porn star. What? Yeah, didn't he? Yeah, 
What are you I just discrediting I, his performances? I just wanted to put that <laughs> on the record for this episode. You know, it's true. I just he, wanted to acknowledge his future work in porn. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like this film. Look, so there's real talent on display. I mean, I guess no, I'd but say you that. Know, something that, that I wanted, which we haven't said yet, is it also offers, I, I reckon the more committed and, and, and for me kind of coherent and meaningful critique is of materialism and capitalism. Well, that's you know, like I know that's wealth, what the French right? film was about. Ah, uh, okay, see, because that, 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 that hits yeah. me. It was about class, wasn't it? The it French was a lot film. more yeah, about class. Yeah, because that hits me harder than, you know, in the end, the fact that Richard Pryor and the kid sort of form this quasi-surrogate father type yeah, relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas there's always a critique of this extreme wealth and the abuse of the servants and... You know the way the servants yeah. have to wear those. So, the, like the in in, yeah. in the Richard Pryor one, he he's a journalist, and so is the French one, and they do do that thing where they print an article about how the father, his um, wealthy industrialist ways. So that's where they kind evil. of turn into all the presidents yeah, yeah, and, and his investigative reporters. <laughs> that's what I remember. But that's the critic. You know, that's the main. I don't think they do a cream pie fight uh, on a lawn with you know yeah. racists. They do a. They get stuck into the father for being too rich mm. and doing well. That's right, and, and, and for me, at the end of the movie, that's really the stronger critique than the race stuff. The yeah, race right. for me, the race is 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 sort of chaotic. It's like okay, so you 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 didn't like that, and then this is happening, and it's a bit crazy. But there seems to be a strong critique all the way through that the wealthy are abusing the the the, the poor and the disenfranchised. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think this movie has okay. So take a movie like Big, um, Penny Marshall, Tom yeah. Hanks. That obviously, that's what I'm, I love. That movie, it's much, much better than the toys. Mm. The toy doesn't, it's, you know, doesn't even pale in comparison. But um, it has similar themes of belonging and trying to work out who you are. So for me, at the end of the day, then you've got to ask yourself, given all of that, and some of the themes that do resonate with me, those stories, then how do you handle the overtly offensive nature of some of the film? So so wait, we uh, have we outlined what's offensive? We should Well, okay, we've literally got a scene where Richard Pryor is getting bought and the the more concerning thing about it, he's getting bought for this child. And the more concerning thing about it is that he's an active participant in setting the price yeah. of his own self. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's going this much and Ned Betty goes this much and he's going absolutely not and then Ned Betty, I don't know what he's what number he comes up with and Richard Pryor goes, "Okay, now you're talking." Yeah. Now, but even so after he then Leaves when he's so angry and he leaves the house. Ned Betty comes back, back and makes him another offer, yeah. right? And that's kind of a very dispiriting scene because suddenly this guy that you thought was going to be the you know the, the moral core of the film, he just gets bored out and goes yes. back. You got the repetitive objectifying of of Jackie Gleason's wife, in, in, oh, yeah, and yeah. at one point oh, she's tied yeah, okay. to the to that wheel yeah, that spins around. Right. I mean that's absolutely insane. Like the whole thing is very yeah. creepy, really. Um, oh, there's the German um, stewardess that lives there. That, yeah, and, and, you know, and don't forget, in the, the German stewardess or the, the, the housekeeper or whatever, remember at the end she then comes on to Richard Pryor and suddenly she's attracted to him? Yeah. Mm. Remember that weird But it's not just similar to a well? heap of movies in the early 80s that has had these sorts of tropes of mm. extreme yeah. stereotypes. Like the German woman had to be this. The, the, the you know, the, the sort of the, the, the trophy blonde wife had to be this mm. and was going to get... You know, um, uh, you know, would be this fantasy that, that you know. So I think it's traffic in those in those yeah. tropes that are really familiar to audiences, but you couldn't go anywhere near that stuff in a contemporary film. But see, now that raises the key question for me, right? So, and it's a more general question, and this movie doesn't intend to raise this question, but it's now become prevalent f- to all of us. So, to what extent do you view the toy through the lens of twenty twenty two? In which case, 
you know, it's, it's very offensive and you probably mm. couldn't really watch the movie. Or you're able to say, well, that was a product of its time. It still had something valuable to say about the, the, the poor and the disenfranchised. It just happened to be behaving as other films at the time, the, mm. the exploitation films at the time were doing. Other, other films were doing this as yeah. well. So that's, that's a more interesting general question to me about film general, about film yeah. and art, really. I mean, we've done another podcast. Um, I'm not sure if it's released yet or if we're going to release it, about Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, and we have yeah, a okay. very similar conversation mm, about yeah. the bizarre misogyny and stereotypes of all the characters in it. And mm. yeah, it's got a but heart of like gold, but it's also rotten. But it, this like is one of the enduring questions, right? This was you know, in Plato. Yeah. So we're still wrestling with mm. this question of um, how do you how do you engage a work of art and what is the relationship of a work to its production, its authorship, um, the, the sort of relational mm. uh, environment that it exists in? And, you know, this is that question of do you, can you still play Michael Jackson music? You know, I do, but I and know can, people can you separate don't. The, I can don't. Can you separate you the don't. Yeah, break. after watching that docker, I'm like, oh, okay, so I, I would have been one of those kids. If he got close enough to me, I would have gone. <laughs> what? Seriously, I'm not saying I, I hey, was a dancer. There's no way Michael's taken an interest in you, Craig. <laughs> I was way too ugly. But <laughs> if if he was, I, w I loved him so much as a kid, I yeah. could totally see myself doing wow. everything that what those boys did in that doc. And I'm like, yeah, that would have sucked. I would have been screwed up by that. But because I loved him so, so much. So what happens when you listen to the music? Are you just no, I'm just reminded of it. I'm just like, oh, yeah, okay. that feels shit now. It's yeah. just sad. I know, it's not I, like I, I'm not I trying to be politically yeah. correct. Not, not to Michael Jackson. No, no, of course not. I know it that. just makes me feel bad. Like yeah, I associate yeah. so much now with that guy, those kids yeah, who yeah. did or do abused. what I would have done. I would have 100% yeah. tried so to get So what you're telling me is you're assuming he's guilty. Well, yeah. I don't <laughs> think I'm going to believe Just for the record. Yeah, yeah. But here's the other thing. So take a person like take a person like Kevin Spacey. I've been wanting to watch The Usual Suspects probably for two years. Mm -hmm. I just never got around to it because every time I go to put it on, I say to myself, well, I can probably put on another movie I'll enjoy more because for me, it's just difficult now to, to, to... Not necessarily because I think Kevin Spacey shouldn't ever work or be viewed in a film or anything mm -hmm. like that. It's not about that. It's tainted. It's, I think what you said, Craig, is spot on. It's, it's dirty. <laughs> well, it's not even dirty. I just now feel for yeah. those victims that mm, yeah. I believe are victims I'm like oh yeah that's what I would have done yeah uh, you know and maybe maybe for some reason a 40 year old man wanted to just lie in the bed with me and be friends but I don't know that yeah, that's yeah, yeah. strange and I think yeah that probably I would have but done I mean th these are huge questions right like one, uh, and, and one of the challenges I think that we're facing in a film like The Toy or Revenge of the Nerds or so many other things is you know how how do you situate yourself in relation to these things and I I mean, I don't, I'm a child of a sort of the, the generation of post-structuralism where, like, you know, you, you have to forcefully separate yourself from the author because authors mm. are flawed individuals. Well, so last I mean, we'd have to cancel three quarters of the, my favorite works. So last week, just in watching Rocky, when, when, which I've always thought of as one of the most beautiful romantic scenes is where uh, Adrian's come to his apartment and then he says, and then the music kicks in and then the camera goes mm. lower so that he stands with his arms yeah, above yeah, yeah. her. And then he says, now I'm going to kiss you and you don't have to kiss me back, but I want to kiss you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I actually remember. You know For I mean? people at home, Herschel's just throwing his uh, uh, hands in the air. Like, I'm what? just saying. I'm, no, no, yeah. but I, I remember teaching this to a class years ago and I remember saying, 
how do people respond to that scene? And I remember there's one guy putting up his hand and saying, that's one of the creepiest things I've ever seen. <laughs> and I have to admit, hey, because sure. of the, the, the time and place in which I grew up yeah. and how I had seen this film, that had literally never occurred to me. Neither, neither had it occurred to me. Uh -huh. But what's interesting in Rocky 2, <laughs> because my, Lockie, my 11-year-old son, and I, we've made our way through all of the Rockies. And in Rocky 2, he, remember he gets beaten up really badly in his eye in Rocky 1? Yeah. Well, yeah. she doesn't want him to fight because he can lose his eye. And then he says to her, I've never asked you to stop being a woman. <laughs> Please don't ask me to stop being a man. He actually says that. He says that in, in Rocky 2. Wow. Now, here's okay. the thing. Fighting a person or getting into a boxing ring can't make you, it, it can't be a symbol of masculinity because, well, there's no way in the world you're going to get mean to a boxing ring under any symbol for, yeah, but for the, all the money but in the world. What's interesting about it is it it, he makes it a symbol of into, masculinity. Into, exactly. That's what's but, so interesting. But that's, that's the thing. So <coughs> that's different to the overt, I'm going to kiss you, you don't have to kiss me back. He's making a political comment, uh, yeah. an economic sure. political yeah, comment yeah, at that sure. point. But I mean that, that again. That that's so interesting about the 1980s. There's a certain kind of, can't remember which pod we talked about or if it's still coming up. But the distinction between hard bodies and soft bodies and the way that mm. it become, mm. you know, the toughness, the muscle, the, you know, the, the the masculinity. If you read it through the ideological lens of today, people would call that toxic masculinity. But back then, Rocky's calling it masculinity. That's good stuff. Well, I'm scared. Good. Uh, I'm going to get beaten up here by these <laughs> two thugs. <laughs> but I think we're going to talk more about the toy mm. as we finish talking about Green Book because mm. I do think mm, they yeah, run yeah. well together. They do. And in comparison. So let's move on to our second film. Take two. Our second film is 2018's Green Book. Now, up until 2018, Peter Farrelly's name was synonymous for loud, brash, line-pushing comedies like There's Something About Mary, Shallow Howl and Dumb and Dumber. In fact, he'd made 14 of these comedies and they'd often attract huge stars and sometimes clean up at the box office. Then, seemingly out of nowhere, Peter Farrelly helmed this uncharacteristically sensitive drama set in the 1960s. It's based on the true story of a working-class Italian-American, amicably portrayed by Vigo Mortensen, who accepts the job driving the musical virtuoso Donald Shirley, played by Mahershala Ali. The two men become friends, discuss class, music, race and fried chicken as they tour around America's racially charged southern states. The film was well-received by critics and audiences around the world, taking $320 million globally. It also won three Oscars, including the coveted Best Picture Award, bidding out such films as Spike Lee's The Black Klansman and the monolith of positive black superhero representation, Black Panther. Dr. Bruce Isaacs, what's your take on Green Book? We don't have to go any further with this movie mm -hmm. than to say what happens if you take the director of Dumb and Dumber <laughs> and there's something about Mary and ask him to give you a sensitive vision and Bruce, about let's, race. Let's, let's be clear. We're not, <laughs> I mean, we're not saying there's Am I going mad? No, well, we're, hang on. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Dumb and Dumber and Something of Mary are two of the most masterful comedies ever made. Yeah, sure. Right? What I'm saying is maybe this is not this dude's forte. <laughs> maybe he should stick to that. Um, you guys know how I feel about this film. The argument I'm going to essentially make is that Hollywood has such a long history of doing precisely this kind of thing. Take a serious topic, 
convince the world that you have the most illuminated way of looking at it, make a big movie about that, and convince everyone to buy into your great fantasy. Mm -hmm. And Green Book is just another one in a long range of big fantasies about blacks and whites in history. And Hollywood itself believes it to be this wonderfully progressive attitude, which is why it's not hard to give it an Oscar. Because when, when those guys won Best Picture, um, and we all remember, I think at that moment, Spike Lee turned his back on the Oscars. He actually left, <laughs> he left, the, he the, actually left the auditorium. Wow. Such was angry. his anger. And look, it's not just because he was nominated for Black Klansman, but he could not believe this film was going to win the best picture. This movie but hey, was going to be... But Spike Lee also had that trouble with Do the Right Thing, right? Yes, yeah. Do, so, in fact, there's a wonderful kind of circular history here. Um, 1989, yeah. Spike Lee makes his third film, which many people today still consider his best film. For sure. And many people still say it's one of the greatest films ever yeah, made about race, movie. right? Mm -hmm. It's the most glorious Do the Right Thing. Um, it gets nominated for Best Screenplay, Best Picture. The same year... In, 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 in a stunning sort of upset, the small Bruce Beresford, Australian-directed film, Driving Miss Daisy, mm -hmm. which is about a black chauffeur played by Morgan Freeman who drives an aging white woman around. And, well, of course, this is the fantasy. The black and white person become really great friends and learn from each other, um, which is essentially, you know, if you ask yourself, what well, is Green Book? Well, it's the flip side of Green Book, isn't well, it? Well, no, it's not even but the flip side. it's the flip side, side, it's side the of Do the Right Thing. Of do, it's, the, it's definitely the flip of Do the Right you Thing. You think at the end of Do right? the Right Thing, um, what is it, Mookie, Mookie. Mookie, he throws the bin through yeah, the window, he starts a and, fire, and, and he goes he, mental. And, and what he does is he, he uses violence. Yeah. This, uh, the, the great Hollywood fantasy, which, you know, I'm going to say sort of provocatively is a white fantasy, is it doesn't end in violence, it ends in reconciliation. But the reconciliation is on the terms of the dominant white authority. In the case of Driving Miss Daisy, it's obviously Miss Daisy, you know, mm -hmm. she goes, Hope, you're my best friend, <laughs> right? Um, in Green, Green Book, I, I mean, I was so taken aback by the transparency of its madness that I found it funny watching the movie. Uh -huh. I mean, I just thought, wait, this guy's never had fried chicken. <laughs> I mean, he the, I, or he's never listened. So he's he, more like an alien than. Uh, he, he, yeah. He's not. He's not a. Um, a black man has turned his black on his culture. He's a human being who's turned his back on, on Earth. On, on, on. on Earth. Because he's, he's never eaten fried he's never yeah. eaten fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> he's never eaten fried chicken. He's a concert level classical and jazz musician who's never heard of Little Richard. Anyone Little Richard yeah, but this in is 1950 common. something but, was but he yeah. was such an important figure. But is that kind of hyperbole? That's common in Hollywood. I think that's what you yeah, that's I, what you, I'm just saying you, it's you're the, pointing it's, it's, out. It's yeah. a fabricated fantasy to convince a, a, a dominant white audience, but especially industrial structure, the Hollywood industrial structure, yeah. to convince them that in fact they are politically meaningful. And they are politically impactful. They're absolutely impactful. They do damage. They destroy um, the capacity of black people to be represented as, in any way, um, agents. Like, if you think about that movie, right, agents of their own destiny. I mean, I can't believe the way um, the Italian guy who's depicted as uh, uneducated, um, moronic, uh, um, physical, is against the black guy who is uh, urbane, 
who's very highly educated with a couple of doctorates and a classical pianist. So he's an esthete on top of everything. Mm. And gradually, what do you think is going to happen? The black guy is going to learn <laughs> to be a little bit more like his white friend. <laughs> and he will then find some kind of solace in his tortured soul. I mean, Yukim, it's the same story from Driver Miss Daisy or Crash, well, which I came, won the Oscar in 2005. I came late mm. to this movie. So when we were doing this for the podcast, I came late to watching. I didn't go to the movies. I really wasn't that interested in seeing it, if I'm being honest. Mm. Um, Viggo Mortensen, I think, just in terms of the acting, and he's a likable character, so that's that kept the movie going to some extent for me. But I don't find this movie interesting. It's not challenging, and it certainly doesn't... One thing that I find annoying in this film is it completely really shirks its responsibility to show the viewer what was actually going on. Yeah. So at no point does the film say, well, the reason people are driving around with um, with a green book... Actually, let's just explain what the green book is. So, so the green book was a book that was put together um, when I was researching for this podcast. It was the idea of, of, a, of a person and they made notes. It was first like manually done. Like it was a piece of paper mm. that, was, that was bound together or stapled together. People were adding to it. So if you were to stay in the South, if you were traveling to the South, black, if you're black, black, sorry, if you're black. It's a, it's a guidebook, like it's almost to keep secret. You safe, to keep you safe. Yeah. And it was kept secret, actually. It was heavily guarded. The fact that there was a book that you could stay here, you'd be safe, you could get a meal here, you could yeah. you'd get accommodation here for black people needing to travel through those states in the United States. But, but to me, what was really disappointing, and, and I think what is to some extent dishonest, is that it, it so wants to keep the movie feel good and a yeah. movie about positivity. And also that simple. And simple. And yeah. that it, it fails yeah. to point out the actual trauma that black people mm. experienced at this time. It, it doesn't engage in any realistic way with the reality of what occurred. It, it's to, so to some yeah. extent, that to me is dishonesty in not saying what it is. That's <laughs> dishonest in itself. I mean, there's the scene where he can't get dinner, uh, you know, or he has to go <laughs> out. So. Yeah. I know, but it's, it yeah. is the very, um, I don't know... What is the safest or the yeah. politest yeah. version but the irony yeah. of, of, of the, the segregation? The, and the yeah. strongest depiction of cruelty by white people is not against the fact that he's black, but against the fact that he's gay. Yes. So that that's the oh, irony of it. He's yeah, in the jail. Yeah. So that, in fact, I was just going to say that it's that for me the deeper commitment in in the film, and this is very fashionable in Hollywood, right? Um, is again to be serious on the level of. Um, you know, righting the wrongs of the past when it comes to homosexuality, um, LGBTQ, and so on. That, to me, is the most moving sequence in the film. When it's actually mm. trying to depict the trauma of race, I mean, the film is just so superficial and so transparent in the way it just ideologically wears its sort of white heart and sleeve. Mm. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, I didn't... It's it's not a movie. I always ask myself, would I return to a movie? I'm really never mm. going to watch this movie again. That's not to say that um, some of the interplay, some of the dialogue is fun. Um, there's some funny moments in the movie as well. Vigo Morgensen is quite funny in places. Mm. But I don't know what they were trying to achieve. So to me, it's the, the ultimate mystery is why the, well, let's say, like, you know, why Hollywood, why the canon, I guess, 
thought this was so mm. wonderful. Do you remember Spike but, Lee? But why do you? But, uh, well, I think that's the million dollar question here. I, I really what, don't know. What, what mm-hmm. is going on? Well, remember Spike Lee got into trouble that, uh, at yeah. the Screen Actors Guild because on the red carpet they came up to him and said, and they were always trying to bait him with this because they do the right thing, and they said to him, "So are you, um, are you concerned again? You know, it's um, you got Black Klansman and you've got Green Book, and." He got into trouble because he, he was trying to avoid it, but he said, come on, man, that's that's not even a movie about race. That's, mm. that's got nothing to do with black people or race. Mm. And he got into trouble for saying that. Yeah. So the way Spike Lee certainly perceives this movie is that the whole thing is absurd, that it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. This, this, but also but then it goes on to win Best Picture. And that's but we, the, we but should also say, you know, the Oscars are the Oscars. They're yeah. old yeah. people, you know. Mm. It's like, uh, it's bizarre. It's not like... Um, it's, it's an award for most progressive or actually good films. Yeah. It's the most popular thing that everybody's heard of that we can tolerate. Yep. You know, it's not, uh, it's, mm. the, I don't know. It's, and, it's, and, it's, and, it's and the archaic. thing that, um, that kills me a lot about the Oscars is um, it pushes the same kind of ideological tapestry year in and year out. And the thing is, it doesn't mean that, you know, the film was very highly praised by black critics, right? Mm. Um, so for me, it's not about whether you're a black person and you love or you hate Green Book. It's about the way the, the ideology is itself coded in racial terms. And that's whether you're a white person voting for it or you're a black person voting. It really doesn't matter. But Hollywood has internalized, you know, since the classical era, ways in which what is normative and what is accepted is white and black is the other. And it can try as much as it wants to convince me that Green Book really is a contemporary overturning of, of that, that norm, but it's not. No like way. It, it, it's this, a horrible reaffirmation of it all. It's the equivalent of someone standing up, a white dude going, I'm not racist, but, or... Yeah. I've got, listen, I've got lots of black friends. Yes. That's what this film feels like. And then followed by... That's exactly what it feels like. And they're very happy cleaning my house. You know, it's like, hang on, you're about to say something horrible, but you've found a way that you're allowed to say it. I mean, that's that's the fundamental issue for me. It's trying to say something genuine and important about race. But at the end of the day, there's a happy ending. Everyone's done well. And he comes to have dinner at... And he's driving well, there's oh, a transformative moment at the yeah, end. That's, well, it's where it's trans- like, hang on, sorry, did the cousins? Was it osmosis? Was he in the room, and now they're not racist yes. as well? What yeah, the hell is happening? So, hell that's the the so th- but this is the great. I mean, that's the great enacted fantasy: is that you are magically transformed, mm. right? Through f- f- so he has a journey of a few weeks. But as you say, the entire Italian American community, <laughs> no, they are themselves transformed. Yeah, yeah. So it's such a fanciful a, political, like erasure. It's mad. It's and also madly, a product actually. of. It's also a product of being unwilling to engage with the really abusive and horrific aspects of what actually occurred. So as soon as you don't depict that stuff, how can you possibly be accurate? Mm. Because that happens to be the key to it. The fact that people were lynched. The yep. fact that the Klan w- was killing children mm. and blowing up churches. If you don't depict that, then I don't know how you can even call yourself a film commenting on race. Because how does, but how also does that get separated? The, the title is Green Book. Like, it's like, um, I don't know. Of a, of a, it's, it's people with a guide to stay alive in places where people yep. want you dead. 
and they've gone great. Main character shouldn't be one of those people. Yeah, should be a guy driving around one of those people. And this is and, have, you, and uh, having you know a ciggy out the front while that dude's <laughs> in, in trying to save his, you know, play and you know it's adapted life. from the memoir of the son well, that's, that's of the, yeah. So the story, the white is, character. Exactly. So the story is ostensibly a white narrative. Mm-hmm. Of an event whose central character is a black man. Well, that's why Viggo Mortensen I mean, comes on as such a wonderful person. Don't forget, yeah. he starts the film by himself being racist because when the tradespeople are yeah. there, remember he takes the, the glass and, yes. he, and he, he dumps puts it, it in, in the, the sink bin. in the no, bin. No, no, sorry. He so he throws it in the bin because yeah. he doesn't want those people in his house. At the end of the movie, he's become well. He's really the, the key to the race relation, and he's yep. bringing the the family and his new friend together. But and how not did that happen? But in the scene immediately prior, which is the kind of the big, you know, revelation, is when um, the black guy refuses to have dinner in the other room, yeah. in, and yeah, it's Viggo right. Mortensen who yeah, makes yeah, the decision yeah, and says, yeah. "We're leaving." Yeah. it's not the black man doing it for himself. It's the white guy who stands up for him, and then the black guy saying, "You know, thank you." All. Everything like, about you know, that scene as they're standing in the corridor and, yeah. the, and the construction of it is so um, placing him in power. Yes, white, absolutely. White person has to make the choices, yeah. has to be the hero in this moment, but and because, stand for something. Yeah, because we were doing Green Book today, I was thinking to myself, I was thinking of Witness earlier today. I was just, uh, mm. and I was yeah. thinking Harrison, Harrison Ford. Yeah. Harrison Ford. Remember the Amish? And he says, no, book, it's not our way. And yeah, the yeah. book goes, but it's my way. Mm. To some extent, that's a similar thing, isn't it? It's saying, like, you don't have the tools to, to, to deal with the situation. I'm going to bring myself and, and impose it on you. Now, that to me is, what is, is the problem with Green Book. Yeah. It, it doesn't engage with the, the lack of power, the institutional corruption. Um, it's it's just, just the, the abuse. It's, right? just, like, it, it's a dishonest film, I think. Yeah. In fact, that's the perfect way I would sum up after discussion, I think Green Book is like a long line of Hollywood films that are either about race or about gender or sexuality or HIV or whatever you want to call it. They're disingenuous films. They're dishonest films. <laughs> Slammed! <laughs> Mise en scène. Now it's time for our Mise en scène where we zoom in on one scene or sequence from the film. Up first, it's Herschel. What have you picked up for the toy? It's actually impossible to pick a scene out of the toy that isn't going to strike you as very strange at some point. So the scene that I've chosen is where, and just a reminder to our listeners, this is obviously Richard Pryor has been given money to become the toy, the plaything of this you know, young kid because his father doesn't have time to spend with him and he has all the money in the world and he's got everything except he's just after a friend. And that friend is not going to be like a teddy bear or like a dog. So when the camera moves into this room, this is the room that every 10-year-old kid would dream of. And I remember when Bruce and I first saw this, when they walk into the room, they've got those old arcade machines. They've got them lined oh, up yeah, on yeah. the wall. Mm. And then, arcades for people who are younger than us. It's got all the lights flashing uh, and the, and the, and the sounds deal. playing. Yeah. Yeah, the then when you look past the arcade, you see that, that massive like train track. And that yeah, elaborate yeah. setting. <laughs> and to me, yeah. this was like heaven. This was like the most beautiful place. So I actually like the setup of the scene. What what Donna does there is that the camera is high up so that it gives you 
a really bird's eye view of the extent of this kid's wealth. It, it reminds me of the F.A. Schwartz building in Big, like the toy store. That yeah, yeah, nice, yeah, nice yeah, call. Yeah, really nice like call. That. It yeah. does it's sort look of like an, that. an entire world of toys. Yes. yes. Yeah. But yeah. what you also get a sense yeah. of is that this kid spends all his time playing with toys, but he's actually unhappy. So that does play to some extent into the into the idea, into the trope of the film. I, now, I spoke to a guy at a cafe today, um, a friend, and he's... Charles? 35. No, but at oh. Charles Cafe. And I said, it's the toy. And uh, we were going to do the toy. And he said, great, what's that? And I said, the Richard Pryor He couldn't remember anything. Mm. And then I said, the kids, and he goes, hang on, is the kid rich and have an excellent room full of yeah. toys? Oh, exactly. wow. And that's the only so thing he could remember. that guy. Yeah, he couldn't, yeah. He, but he knew that Whoa. moment of that, this room. So it's really well staged. That over that bird's eye view of it, it mm. really takes you back to when you were a kid. Now, when we didn't have these kinds of toys, obviously, but when Bruce and I were young, we loved playing computer games and we'd go to like an arcade and it was like 20 cents to remember to play Pac-Man or something yeah, like mm -hmm. that. And so that'll always be synonymous, to, certainly to me, as, as a fun thing. So when I watch war games and Matthew Broderick's playing Galaga at the beginning, that always brings like wonderful memories for me. So I like the opening and the way this toy heaven, it's, it's like all your Christmases are coming at once. Now, in the middle of the room, is a big wooden box with a red bow around it. Remember the kid in the movie says, I want it open now, open the box, I want, I want it open immediately. They open the box and Richard Pryor has been stored inside this wooden box <laughs> and there's full of white packing foam around him. So he comes pouring out and rolls onto <laughs> the ground and it's this black man covered in white, wrapping pieces, white mm -hmm, foam. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing is very disconcerting. You look at it and you go, well, that's absolutely awful. Mm. He then gets out and at that point on the entire scene is Richard Pryor as an object. The kid refers to Richard Pryor as, come here, come here, oh, I, forget, I forget his name. And he, he literally talks to him like he's a dog. His name's Jack Brown. Yeah, come here Jack, come here Jack. And his name's mm. Jack Brown. Yeah, that's yeah. the other thing. Mm. But so the entire scene is, and this is where it's difficult to work out what Donna's trying to achieve here, <laughs> but the entire scene is at once a whimsical kind of picture of childhood, but that it's an awfully offensive depiction of presenting Richard Pryor as an object. Mm. And a, Which the black a, man a as an object. A, a black man you know, that, that's as a child's offensive. toy. As yeah. a child's toy. And, and don't forget, by this point, you've actually been through the scene where Richard Pryor is complicit in agreeing to becoming a toy for mm. the child because the price was right. He yeah. held off for as long as he could, but then eventually it was Yeah, but I over. think at that point, we don't hold it against him. Though, no, we don't hold it against he him. He is part of that community that's struggling and in fact is kind of dying yes. because they're unemployed, mm -hmm. right? That aspect of the scene I do find really offensive. But then he makes his way around the, the room for a while and he gets to know things and then he goes straight into the fast and the slapstick, which prior punches the, the robot who then, who then punches Richard Pryor in the testicles. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that the, is a funny scene. And the whole thing becomes quite absurd. That's the level of my humor. And Richard Pryor is <laughs> right at the level more of I that, needed. you would have been happier. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Richard Pryor keels over and he's in a lot of pain. And the kid goes, follow me, I'll show you I'll show you this other room or something. And then Richard Pryor, and this is where I'll end my mise-en-scene, Richard Pryor turns back to the robot and smashes it in the face. <laughs> and the head comes off. And it's just it's just like a lever. Because mm -hmm. he smashed the head off the thing. What, are you saying critics couldn't love this movie? <laughs> 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 so, look, it's, it's at once, like, remarkably, like, the set design is really cool. It does throw you back to when you were a kid and all the excitement you get when you get that new toy when it's Christmas morning or whatever it is. At the same time, they throw something remarkably offensive right into mm. the middle of the whole thing. And that 
probably is a good summary of what the toy really stands for. Yeah. If you, if I'd like to check out some contemporary criticism of that movie, actually. I know there's a couple of things on well, Rotten Tomatoes. I, I don't know if you're going to get something contemporary. I don't think anyone's watching this thing anymore. Yeah. <laughs> It's oh yeah, for all the films we've covered. No, I mean covered. contemporary just time. Like, it, it, oh, okay, oh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But all the films we've covered, I think this is the one that there is little um, written about today or talked about today. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it's just like Revenge of the Nerds. People know about, and, yep. and you had the writers go out and say we made a mistake. I like us doing films like this. We we sort of trying to excavate something mm. that yeah definitely meant something. And we haven't talked a, a, a lot about Richard Pryor's career. Well, that's that's how what important I was just thinking. He was that and it's such that. he he couldn't get a break. This guy like. Yeah. Everything he did was okay yep. to bad. Do you reckon he needed one great film? Well, that's and the he tragedy is the Blazing Saddles thing that was written for. That him. was supposed to be a Richard Pryor. Yeah. That's such a masterpiece. And he, I think he d- maybe even wrote some of it together. Wow. But what about the Richard Pryor Gene Wilder partnership? I mean, there's, well, a, there's, that's the there's gold in the water. The crazy is pretty good. Yeah, that's all yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and then there's a whole bunch evil, of you know evil. <laughs> that's not too bad. Either. I love that. I, yeah, I, I, I know it's obviously real famous for being Kevin Spacey's. Star, <laughs> you, you, every moment you, you, can, you can find Kevin a cancellation. Spacey. I'm <laughs> not a fan of Kevin Spacey. <laughs> well, you, have you watched Seven recently? I watched Seven yeah, about, about six a year ago. ago I watched there's this. that weird impact now of seeing Kevin Spacey come in to the two yeah. third point of the film. Absolutely, because like, remember oh. when he's driving in the car with Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt, yeah. and it's his diatribe about his view of the of the world and uh, his yeah. ideology, and you think to yourself. This is Kevin Spacey. Well, it's this like guy's actually got weird thoughts. It's listening to head. "Let Me Be Frank," the YouTube video. <laughs> oh, yeah, "Let Me Be that? Frank" is What's unbelievable. Oh, it's oh, that was Kevin Spacey doing that. that? Was but he takes on the persona yes, of Frank, Frank. out of yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and saying, uh, "Forget about it." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, poor old Richard Pryor. Although he was getting well paid. Like I think the two films before this, well, Superman three got a fortune. For uh, he got at least a million dollars, and it was the first time yeah. anyone, I think, uh, yeah. African American, had been paid a million dollars for. So a what film. else has he done? He did so. Okay, he did um, the Silver Streak. Uh, Silver Streak, Gene Wilder. Um, but Silver Streak is the crazy. beginning of the Gene Wilder yeah, partnership. Yeah. Stir Crazy must have done pretty well because that's a much loved film. But here's the thing: Do you guys know how much money this film made? This movie made forty-eight million dollars. Are you serious? Yes, that's right. I think it cost I remember 17 you said million. it made a lot of it money. Made, this movie made a lot of money. Well, it hit that formula of the eighties, which is uh, an adult and a youth. You yeah. know, like mm. that crossover. Oh, Brewster's Millions. Yeah, Brewster's Millions. That hasn't dated. Well. Oh, the, I just watched yeah. that recently. And that's a film that's been cycled through Hollywood many yeah. decades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was originally Mr. Deeds, the, right? Yeah, yeah. But also, all you got your, um, you know, Freaky Friday, all those. things. Yeah, yeah. Any vice versa. What the Haley Mills ones? Remember Haley Mills? What was that? Parent, Parent Trap. Parent, Parent Trap's a big one. Willy Millie, the one where the the, <laughs> the girl the Bruce. girl wishes she was a boy and becomes a boy overnight. Wait, but Bruce's Millions is about a man who has to spend a lot of money. No, no, but I was talking about the youth and the adult, uh, yeah, the, okay. the, the, the you know, an adult acting young or vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Was a What's big the one thing with Kirk Cameron in it? Dudley Moore and Kirk Cameron? No, no, no Like Father, Like Son. Like Father, Like oh, Son, right. Anyway, so Richard Pryor, I don't know, he, he, he was in some popular films, yeah. and I think he was far more popular as... He had the TV, the Richard Pryor show that only lasted four yeah, eps, I right. think. He, but he what he never achieved was he never made that transition that Eddie Murphy was able yeah. to make. No. He never came from stand-up. Yeah, but Eddie superstar. was also an incredibly brilliant actor. Mm. You know, which he but Richard Pryor is, is a pretty good actor, though. I think he can get. He I mean, he's emotions. okay. He's kind of one note, I reckon, a bit. Mm. I enjoy that note. <laughs> yeah. hey, right. If you love that, no, just bring on more Richard Pryor. Bring it on. Put him <laughs> up against the KKK. I don't care. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our second Miss on Scene. Mise en scène. I remember watching uh, Green Book, and it was about halfway through, and they, you know, the film's about music, and um, the fact that uh, the Italian guy is going to explain black music 
to the black man who is himself a musician. Yes. I mean, it, even me saying it, it's so outlandish as a plot point. I can't believe this. But said, it's that. Hey, you know what? That, Perfect. What you're talking about is the American idea That's of. That's the fantasy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, man, I don't know what I'm talking about, but yeah. here's, I actually am smarter than you, yes. a scientist. Yes. At this so he subject. puts on. Firstly, so he he puts on Little Richard on the radio, mm. and it's he is a Richard, a little Richard aficionado. He's a guy <laughs> that's into classic rock. You know, he's he's you know he's into blues and rock. But the guy in the back seat, who's a musician, but also a jazz musician. That's what I don't get. Yeah. Like, how do these things? How do you not cross over in any point? That's impossible. But it goes like, back musically. to your, your initial point that um, the director of this film also directed Dumb and Dumber, <laughs> and don't forget Jeff Daniels was on the toilet with diarrhea in that movie, <laughs> and the solution to that was he picked up the toilet and he emptied it out the window. <laughs> so I don't know uh, what you want to expect uh, from Green Book. Man. I don't know what you want to expect from Green Book. So what you're saying is subtlety is not the strong point <laughs> of thoroughly, right? Okay. Um, Anyway, so I was watching the movie and I saw this exchange uh, and I, I have an interesting sort of history of jazz and blues and, and, and the movement into rock. Anyway, so I'm t- I'm, we're sitting there watching it. I, I, so I said to Rebecca, and my wife, Rebecca, yep. my Rebecca okay. wife, I said to her, I guarantee you uh, in the final scene, <laughs> this man is going to somewhere, he's going to play some blues. I just, I'm telling you this is going to happen. So we're watching the movie, and sure enough, the setup's about thinking, I'm right on the money here. They walk into, like, a bar. Mm-hmm. He goes up and he orders fried chicken by himself. <laughs> okay, so that's the first. <laughs> I've so, forgotten it. Did so, he actually do that? Yeah, so the, tra- the transformation has He's occurred. Learn a right? lesson. Because it's their speciality. That happens to, like it's on the menu. It's their speciality. And then, obviously, you know that the Italian guy is going to say, hey, my friend... He can play, you know, and so he Because there's a live himself. band on stage. It's a live, right? sorry, I yeah, should yeah, say. There's yeah, a live yeah. band in the bar. Yeah, yeah. So he walks up and he starts with, they say to, and, and he feels uncomfortable because he's kind of, he's, he's a spectacle now. He starts with some complex piece like Stravinsky or something. He's just like, and everyone's looking at him like, what? And all the black people are like, whoa, what's wrong with this guy? It's like uh, Back to the Future and Marty goes crazy with the guitar solo. It's exactly (laughs) that. And I would love to think it's kind of riffing on that a little bit, right? And then what do you think he's going to do? Suddenly he's into a classic blues. Mm. And because he's leading it, all the other instruments just follow him in the blues. And he's leading the blues. And I said to Rebecca, see, I told you. He's, he's got to learn to play the blues in this movie. But you look at the coding, it's almost as if the Italian guy's job was to turn this guy back into a stereotype. It's like, yeah. I don't know what's wrong with you. But I don't like it. You need to be eating <laughs> chicken and playing blues. Uh, but, uh, but Craig, you said it perfectly. You need to be black, but on the terms I'm going to authorize mm. narratively. And in terms of things like your job, the way you look, the way you dress. So you can't be that guy because that's not black people. You've got to be this guy. But if I'm and playing devil's advocate and cause I'm the Hollywood person and they've pitched this idea to them and the Hollywood person is going to go, all right, I like that because what it's fundamentally saying is he was always good, but he was never given the, the license to be who he truly is. And, <laughs> and what by are you talking about? And by <laughs> connecting, Jubin is, is essential blackness. Exactly. And by connecting, <laughs> and by connecting with this Italian migrant, yeah, it's it's a story of two people bringing themselves out 
with hope and everything. I mean, that's that's what that's what no, the no, movie was pitched as. Of course, no, Herschel, you you couldn't have summed up the fantasy any better. What I'm saying is the problem is if you present that as some kind of progressive political or truth, catharsis, yeah, yeah or, or you present us as this is actually racial history in the deep south. That's when we run the problems because that is not racial history. That's not how it worked out in the deep south, right? <laughs> that's not how black people kind of, you know, that's not well, how they got the over it. Of e- right? equality and equity, it's like. Yeah. Yeah, because most black people started off as professors <laughs> who could, who were very had a lot of money and yeah. had to learn to loosen up. Yeah, that wasn't the biggest <laughs> problem going on well, in the South. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but remember the introduction to the Shirley character, and when Morganson goes for his interview, he's just going to drive him around. He goes for his interview, but remember, there's all those African artifacts. Yeah. So not only <laughs> is it, he's actually linked directly to Africa. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's not American. It's a kind black. of purity. Yes, he's native. And, he's all, yeah. I mean that, but that again. Again, is that message that Hollywood puts out, like of saying we are going to construct blackness in such a stereotypical way, and we're going to use it for decades, and we're just going to push it and push it and push it. And that's why when Spike Lee made Do the Right Thing, um, I remember vividly reading Roger Ebert's review, and he said this is one of the most powerful movie experiences I've ever had. And when I watched it. I thought it was going to start a riot in LA. Wow. That's you watched a movie at Cannes and said I was convinced when that opened in the states it would start a riot. But see, that's because he's saying I've never seen that's this before. Great. No but one's ever made a movie like this before. But that's why Spike Lee has always struggled to gain, I guess, support from the Orthodox community. I'm not yep. not religiously speaking. I'm saying the Orthodox yeah, yeah, Hollywood yeah, community. Yeah. Because if you think about it, Black Klansman is itself thumbing its nose at. The, at at the, well, at remember, the, it opens with a famous shot of God with the Wind. Yeah. So Black Klansman... The most sacred of all Hollywood movies. Black Klansman is a reactionary film. Yeah. It's about making white people look stupid. Yeah. It's about impersonation and, and, and yeah. preying on I, their I think that's insecurities it, right, and silliness. It's about impersonating the idiocy of the white. And to some extent... Hollywood the, can't take that. Do the Right Thing is, is also about how fractured the powerful people in society, what they've done to allow things to get this bad. Yeah. So it's an angry film. Well, the, the oh, interesting about Do the Right Thing is the Italian-American uh, migrant experience. Yeah. I mean, Daniel Aiello uh, in Side that, by side with the, with the black experience. But there's the thing about it. The Italian migrant, yeah. which we could say is virtually Viggo Mortensen, you could, uh, the difference is they don't reconcile and teach each other to be the same kind of person so we all get on. Mookie destroys. Well, they're the antithesis at the end of the film. Now they do kind of have that, like what I think is the most glorious moment, where you know Daniela chucks his money at him and says, "You destroyed my my place, Mm. right?" And um, you know, and then Mookie says, "I'll see you around," and walks off. So they, 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 you know, it's like a it's that father and son thing Mm. that that they have throughout the film. But there's no way that they hug. They make mm. up. They acknowledge that you're right. We're reconciled now. It's all okay, and that's precisely what films like Drive Miss Daisy or Green Book. Or but that's Crash that's did. why I think the shortcoming in a lot of these Hollywood movies is it fails to take into account that kind of institutional analysis. Yeah. So, for example, when we talked about Wall Street, what was the movie we did with Wall Street again? Wolf, uh, Wolf, Wolf, Wolf of Wall, Wall Street. Street. So when we talk about, you know, I guess the line I'm always pushing is that. Um, like the, the the institutional problem is so important to yep. to portray accurately because that's what underpins all of this. The problem with Green Book is 
it's got no sense of the cultural difficulties or the complexities but exactly, in the but community. But exactly, all the institutional challenges. So Green Book is a profoundly um, individualist film. Do the right thing. The key actors are all institutional groups, like families, like youth on mm. the streets, like the cops, like the guy that owns the pizzeria. Mm -hmm. You know, like they're all institutions that interact. Green Book's about a couple of rugged individualists who have no interaction historically with anything. You know, and it, but it's that crazy individualist fantasy that structures so much American um, but you know, ideology. Before, so I think one of you mentioned Crash before. That yeah. to me is a similar thing. Oh, that's a Crash, strange movie. Crash is even worse than Green Book, I think. Would you say that Crash is trash? <laughs> <laughs> well, cra crash I hate because um, when I, because that was the year of Brokeback Mountain and Brokeback Mountain oh, was one of my favorite But where films, would you yeah. put a movie like Training Day then? Remember Training Day, Denzel Washington, yeah, one yeah, best yeah. actor. Yeah. Um, I, I started, you know, I haven't seen that in a long time. I tried to start, I started watching it the other day and I couldn't watch it. I thought it was mm. ridiculous. So I just stopped. Wow. I don't know why. I need to have a look at it again. Well, I, I like it. My, my first watch of it was last year. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. You enjoyed it. I gotta yeah, check it out. I don't know. I mean, that guy, Antoine Farquhar, he's got an unusual approach to, I don't know, sort of black identity. Yeah. I'm always conflicted by, is it okay to be abusive, misogynistic, violent because you're black mm. i'm watching the kanye west documentary at the moment and it's so intriguing because you're constantly conflicted by mm. wh where you're going to situate yourself you know in terms of i'm black but i i i i am violent i'm abusive i'm misogynistic i hurt other people and so antoine farquhar when i watch some of his movies um i always think you're using violence sometimes in the service of like celebrating something yeah, and, but I need to check out. Uh, well, I mean, Richard again. Pryor does a similar thing um, in his stand-up. I just remember yeah. so many great uh, uh, routines, but they are also full of misogynist yeah, attitudes, yeah. and it's Murphy. hard to listen. Raw and oh yeah, I mean that's homophobic as well. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> no, on that note. Okay, well. The Toy versus Green Book. I grew up with the toy. I loved mm. it as a kid. I, mm. I remember watching it, wearing out the VHS tape that I taped off television. I just, I really, I don't know, I have a soft spot for it. And for me, I, I love that. And when I watch Green Book, I'm like, what the hell is this? Because mm. I'm uh, more, I don't know, I've grown up and I understand yeah. a bit more. And I'm like, uh, nah. Yeah. But the toy, <laughs> I'm all for. It's a Richard Pryor vehicle, right? So for me, if you say to me, like, do I want to see what I watch the toy again or what I watch Green Book again? Richard Pryor is always watchable. For me, I'd watch the toy. Um, I think there are some interesting scenes. Green Book, not so much. I mean, I think Viggo Mortensen yeah. is, is pretty interesting. I think I think there's some humor in it. But, yeah, it, it didn't sort of connect with me as much as the toy. Right. Look, that's two votes for the toy. Um, I'm going to vote Bruce. for Green Book. I hated the toy and I hated Green Book. So okay. this is what's the lesser of two evils? I think that um, Green Book is one in a long line of racist movies that, 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 that masquerade as something like really serious and progressive. So I can understand why it won Best Picture, but why I think that's interesting is that what it reveals something about the establishment and about the industry and about what Hollywood is and still is, regardless of all their, you know, attempts at the Oscars to diversify. It's still an incredibly black and white kind of industry. So I w I'll go with Green Book only because, I mean, the toy's got a couple of zany scenes, but, I mean, other than that... All right, well, there it is. It looks like, unfortunately for you, Bruce, the toy is our favourite, <laughs> the uh, conglomerate of us. So that's it.
Don't forget to subscribe or follow us on your podcast app so that you'll see our new episodes popping up in your stream. Join us next time for two intense sci-fi action interrogations of the body and technology as we compare Paul Verhoeven's ultra-violent Robocop to Cronenberg's body horror, The Fly. You may need a bath bag, boys. Yes, you yes, will. You <laughs> they are pumped beyond belief. <laughs> Goodbye for now and see you next time. Take two. Film. Verse. Film. Film.